0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to a very special minisode of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, one of your co-hosts, and with me tonight is Don Shanahan, one of our contributors from Every Movie Has a Lesson. Hey there, Feelers. Hey there, folks. So Don and I both saw a film recently that we both thought was worthy of a conversation, kind of mm. stuck with us a little bit. And so I want to set the stage for why we're going to be talking about this movie. You and I were having a conversation earlier today where you told me about a film experience you just recently had that was so stunning that you kind of just knew it was a five-star movie. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we see a lot of films uh, as press Mm. critics, and being blown away, whether it's artistically, emotionally, or intellectually, is pretty rare. But when it does happen, that feeling is so incredible. It's such a high, and I've got to tell you, the movie we're talking about today, that is what it did to me. Ooh. The film that we're here to talk about, as you can probably see in the title of this episode or you wouldn't be listening, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is uh, First Reformed. This is the newest film from writer-director Paul Schrader. And Don, why don't you fill us in a little bit on Paul Schrader's uh, history and what makes him so legendary?
1: Yeah, Paul Schrader kind of stepped up from the ranks of being a film critic back in the kind of that new Hollywood era in the 70s and uh, wrote Taxi Driver months after being a film critic and obviously wrote it, uh, the, the stories of taxi driver there where wrote it in a couple of weeks, a couple of days. I don't know what the, the story there to it, but it obviously has gone, you know, went on to be a Scorsese film in one of the benchmark films of the 1970s as being just a, a measure of brilliance upon most others. Uh, the man has gone on to do, um, plenty of other films since then yeah, quite eclectic stuff. Like, um, his most recent film before this was like the canyons with Lindsay Lohan. He's done autofocus with Greg Kinnear kind of, you know, doing the behind the scenes seediness of Hogan's heroes. He has quite the resume. Uh, I had the pleasure, uh, at my screening here, uh, here in Chicago, I got to see the film First performed as part of the Chicago Critics Film Festival. That's a film festival curated and run by the Chicago Film Critics Association, kind of the bigwigs in town that are kind of peers to my little tiny group that I represent. And uh, Paul Schrader himself w- was in the house uh, to kind of say hey to the film afterwards and give us quite a good Q&A. I'll, I'll save some of those notes for our discussion. But the man is um easily got his standing ovation last night as, as this was quite a step up from Lindsay Lohan and whatever sexy thing she tried to do a couple years ago.
0: Yeah, he had been in a little bit of a downswing as far as he's concerned. Most of his big name stuff, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, he wrote, Mm -hmm. uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, he wrote. The big stuff was earlier in his career. He also was raised in a a very strict religious household, and uh, that clearly has informed this film, among Mm -hmm. others, but definitely this film. What I found very intriguing going into this movie was that he – has a background in the same theology and the same faith that that I subscribe to, which is Calvinism or the Reformed theology, if you will. That's what he grew up in. He had a much stricter upbringing than I did. Uh, the legend says that he didn't get to see a movie until he was at least like 18 years old. Oh, my. And that kind of stemmed him forward, uh, fueling many of these themes for the characters that he would create throughout his career. That had me pretty intrigued about this film. Uh, the fact that Ethan Hawke is in it also had me intrigued. Ethan is one of my all-time favorite actors. Here we came to our Seattle International Film Festival, which is uh, screening this film here in a couple weeks for the public. I got to see it a little bit early, so it's kind of cool that you and I both had the screenings at the same time, it all lined mm-hmm. up, and here we are to talk about it. So listeners, this episode is being recorded about a month probably before you all are going to get a chance to see this movie. But what we wanted to do is put our initial thoughts on audio because Don and I haven't talked much about this beforehand and we're doing this unscripted. So you might think this is a little bit different than most of the Feel and Film episodes. There's not going to be a connecting point. There's not going to be a one word takeaway. And we don't have notes or an outline to go by i mean we have our own notes but we haven't really yeah. planned Pages. this out so it might Pages be a, a little bit more scattered than the normal episode but what we wanted to do is put this out there so that when you walk out of the theater feeling the same way that don and i did where we just didn't know what to think you're gonna want to talk to somebody about this movie mm-hmm. it may not be right away you may need to sit with it that's very possible
1: but I you're going to want
0: to talk to somebody. And if you don't have somebody else in your town that's seen this, or you don't have a cinephile friend that has been able to get a hold of this movie yet, we're hoping that this conversation will help address some of those feelings you may be having.
1: Now, does this therapy couch come with a side order or pill selection of spoilers or not? hundred percent. That- As always, no, we spoiling. are,
0: we are okay. spoiling the heck
1: out of this. So we are definitely right. not
0: here to just give you the overview of the film you can read that synopsis online. Right. Um, you, we both definitely think it's worth seeing. So if it's in your town, if the movie is screening, we both say go see it and then come back and listen to this because you're going to need it.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, um, yeah. first impressions. I, I, I think we can dig a connecting point or two in here if we have to really dig. But uh no, first impression for me was um, I was endlessly impressed by just the tr- the transcendental style, the very static, very structured filmmaking he did. My goodness, that opening shot through the dark where the talent crucifix kind of shows up first as these title cards are coming across. And then, it, you know, it, light comes on more towards this, you know, old school church. Just what a tone setter from there on in. And. Schrader talked about it after the film where he, you know, he, he'd he always had attempts at this very spiritual and contemplative cinema and the transcendental style has been a part of his work. I mean, obviously, some of his more self-destructive themes are are, are in here for sure, but he's never really made a film of this still of a style and he, he swore he never would in a way he is the way he said it last night but he ended up doing it and kind of talking himself into it because he, he kind of couldn't put this idea down kind of a story route that i learned last night was this is very closely based on a french film called diary of the country priest did you kind of hear on any of that info on your end
0: i've seen it mentioned in a few reviews that i just kind
1: of browsed
0: over today but i, I haven't heard of it until then
1: yeah and um a buddy of mine and i uh we saw the film last night fellow critic uh shout out to mike crowley of uh you'll probably agree but uh we saw each other again tonight another pair of films for the festival and uh, he's like hey i looked up that diary of a country priest last night and it's pretty much the exact same story where it's an ailing priest and it's the the wrestling of faith and in a and and quite a stark conclusion so and schrader admits that most good filmmakers are kind of like I admit this matches a lot with myself as a school teacher where we always borrow and steal from each other. We really do where if you're not imitating art or imitating things that have inspired you, you're probably not appreciating the art is kind of the way Schrader said it last night. So he made no bones about borrowing diary of a country priest in terms of his ending. And he also had a couple of other routes in there where I, he's like, I, I pulled a piece of this a piece of that because like the environmental things in here, Um, obviously his, his religious backgrounds in here. And then what somebody like Ethan Hawke can bring to the table. So I guess the bottom line in my first impression here is the volume of themes that bleed out of this film is tremendous. I don't know if I've seen a a thicker film in terms of the notes I wrote and the things I can lend to in my review with Life Lessons where just so much of that narration and so much of the words that come out just come across as, my goodness, verses, parables, pieces, parts cautionary tales all of it just the the most thick thematic movie i've seen so far this year
0: absolutely agree with that and what's fascinating to me is that he never quite seems to want to answer questions he wants to ask them i kind of was torn at first because as we were propelled toward the ending and the film is you mentioned very quiet it's very calm and we Mm -hmm. have to sit with it there's no score for the majority of it there's only a True. few moments of score and they're almost always in fact they may always be when the bomb is on screen or when uh, mm-hmm. there's kind of the foreboding change of heart is taking place in reverend toller yeah but other than that it's just quiet and i was amazed because i'm currently doing a lot of research for the next podcast that Feel and Film is going to be doing, which is on film scores. And so I've been writing notes about how emotionally evocative scores are in the background. And what I noticed is that in this one, the lack of a score is what was provoking oh, yeah. more emotion.
1: It's almost like quiet breeds disquiet because you don't Absolutely. know what to do with yourself in that kind of scenario. You're expecting a, a nudge of sentiment or a nudge of emotional cue and you don't get it. And it feels more realistic. It almost oh, feels
0: voyeuristic.
1: Like we are
0: truly so. not watching a drama, but we are just peeking from behind the curtain and seeing you know, these two characters have a conversation. And so as the film was going on, I, I was really feeling it strongly. And I know that I was wanting some resolution. My, I was mm. seeing where we were going. And there's a telegraph nature to the ending of this mm. that of course is twist it up a little bit once you get to the final shot. But what I ultimately walked out of the theater believing was that the movie was better for not trying to have a message. And I think that a lot of folks may miss this. I think general audiences, Mm film goers that are not prepared for this level of high auteur, artistic filmmaking, right are going to see this as someone trying to make a statement about the environment or about religion. And I don't think that Schrader is trying to tell you what to believe or feel
1: at all. I completely agree. I I know the seeds are there with the environmentalism and it's definitely a trigger inside the film. And obviously the religious overtones are are huge there, but I, I see this as Another classic Schrader film of self-destruction and just done in a different setting in a different way. You're exactly right. When you combine that calmness of story with the very deliberate style of it, those, I don't think there's a, panning shot in this film until kind of that third act where every, the static framing choices, the, the no score, like you're saying, all that just lends itself to something that is just so incredibly still. And then you combine that with quiet and you just don't know what to do with yourself. And um I agree. I think general audiences will will really kind of be spun by it in a weird way where I, I, yeah, I think people who aren't looking deep enough or aren't thinking deep enough are just going to take those, Themes that float on the surface, like you said, environmental and religion, and they're and they're going to grab onto that because that's all the depth they could dig, and it, and it just won't play for them. I admit, I'm one of those people who is not a fan of of open endings. I don't know if this is a super open ending more than just an open interpretation ending. Fun fact: Last night, Schrader asked first question he asked to the audience. Show of hands: How many of you think Father Toller's still alive? Only about a third of the audience put their hands up. Okay. I think every everyone, mo- the majority of people were convinced. He's dead and we're watching a weird little vision his, or we're watching his but, final. Yeah.
0: So earlier in the film, this is what I took away earlier in the film. He talks about Michael's suicide and he's talking to Mary, his, his wife. And he, he says, I wonder what he thought in his last moments. Yeah. He's telling her that story. I think it's I think it's her. He's, he's either talking to her or he's talking to uh, Cedric's character, the other pastor. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about how what do you envision in that moment right before you know you're going to die do you think about oh this is about to hurt my head's about to be off or are you envisioning something else and and so what i took away from that scene is he is envisioning what he wants to happen while he's drinking this liquid
1: that's how i saw it yeah shout out to to Jacob Neff and our group, um, I, I sent a suggestion of a film to him and I sh- sent him the video and everything for a, a Twilight Zone episode short film, French short film called an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. It's a, with a character by the name of Peyton Farquhar. And I've always called this a Peyton Farquhar moment where not too spoiler alert, but, um, th- it's this very Twilight Zone episode short film is about a guy who, um, is going to be hung in the Civil War. And it's this, you know, they're marching him up to the noose. They're putting the noose on his neck and then the story kind of triggers when the the rope drops and in his mind the rope breaks and he's free and he's running home and it's this 22 minute chase film after that about him trying to get away him trying to get home him trying to find his girl and i'll spoil it because it's a 50 year old film the last instant of the film is he feels a little tightness on his neck and sure enough he's on the end of the news dead but it's that life flash before his eyes moment. And I've called it since I, I discovered the film in high school. Our, our teacher showed it to us. And uh, I call things like that kind of a Peyton Farquhar moment where the end of the Florida project is a Peyton Farquhar moment for me where that doesn't happen. They don't get to Disney World. Right. But in their minds before the cops come pick her up, she thinks she can go do that in, yep. in her mind. And I think that's the moment happening at the end of First Performed. I'll throw one more note here on the ending. Schrader said he had three endings in mind. He had the Diary of a Country Priest ending, which is kind of the one he went with, where it's this obviously the progression of where this story is, and I'm definitely gonna have to do some homework on that. He had a peck and paw style ending where boom was going to happen. He was very okay with attempting that and where Blaze of Glory was gonna go on and, and you know Scorched Earth and all that. And then he had um he combined kind of the, the narrative of Diary of a Country Priest with a film I couldn't quite catch the full reference, uh called Ordet, where it's this burst of carnal release. And that's what we see as the vision and not necessarily the reality where he's kind of merging. Obviously, he shaved off the pick and paw part, but that's where he's going with it, where he wanted this to be very much open to interpretation, where it's definitely by design. And I I tip my hat to the man. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah, no, it really, it really, really is. And it makes me wonder, I I almost want to go sit outside of theaters when – General audiences do get this film, and just just, just mm-hmm. watch them come out and see what happens. When we came out of the movie, we are kind of obligated to give our press agents a snippet or a blurb or a thought yeah. what we thought about the film. Most of us couldn't really articulate much uh, I believe because you. it was haunting. it was you know spellbinding is a word that you use heavy. Mm-hmm. This is one that you can't define in the moments right after you see it, and even now it's kind of while we're talking through it. Yeah. One thing that I really enjoy is you mentioned how there's all of these lessons and so many of them are theological.
1: Very much so. Which is
0: what I went into this kind of wondering how this was going to play out. I I actually was nervous because as a Christian, uh, a lot of times I am worried that secular depictions of Christianity are going to portray it in a way that I – disagree with and that i believe yeah. are going to be negative or prohibitive to people uh being open to learning about christianity sure. and so how did this one play for you then because of that i was a little worried but i never felt like anything was a negative toward uh toward faith um there's so many things in here. Like I was trying to scribble them all down as you were.
1: Oh man. Yeah. A couple
0: of them. You know, everything happens for me. If I had a connecting point, it would be that initial conversation with Michael, where Toller is meeting him. He's very reluctant. He clearly doesn't want to be there. It's awkward as heck. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not prepared. And he's talking to him and he says many things during this. He he asks him at one point, did Jesus worry about being liked? That's a question I've had. Mm-hmm. They have this whole debate about abortion that I almost was holding my breath during because I was waiting for the other shoe to drop for the oh, film yeah. to dance. But it doesn't. It poses questions again. He says, Soler says, I promise you that the despair of bringing a child into this world cannot equal the despair of taking a child from it.
1: Dynamite so, line.
0: Almost making a case, in essence, against abortion. But the movie doesn't ever harp on it in a way nope. that is saying one way is the right way. He's simply trying to articulate what he believes and have a conversation about this. And so these things are going on over and over and over throughout the film. And what I love about it is it's going to start conversations. I wrote this in my little capsule review that it's going to be a conversation starter about and self-reflective in nature because you're going to hear something in this movie that rustles your feathers. Absolutely. You're a person of no faith, it's going to make you wonder what that side is all about and, and whether or not that's something you should consider. If you're a person of faith, it might make you wonder about the other side, much like silence. Um, mm-hmm. Wonder how faith, how faith plays a role in your life. How far can it take you? Yeah. And what happens when you question it,
1: right? No, I think if there's a connecting point scene for me, I was hooked from the very first one. Just the establishment of Hawk's narration, the hopelessness of that voice spelling out the rules he's going to put down for that journal. How, you know, I'm only going to do this for a year. and I'm going to shred it and I'm going to burn it. It's not going to last. I'm doing this for myself. All that kind of, I know he mentions later in in some of the narrations, pride and even self-pity. And obviously that overarching theme of despair that's shared between so many characters in the film, that the narration is my connecting point. Because I think this film did probably that one of the best jobs I've seen with active narration in scene and not just pauses and montages and moments like I know this isn't a very good example of comparison because I don't think the film's very good but did you see Brad's status last fall the Ben no. Stiller film <laughs> but Ben Stiller has it's more in a comedy sense his internal monologue will fade up and interrupt kind of some of the things that are happening in the scenes where Ben Stiller's thinking something in his head that he's not going to say out loud that's a reflection on the moment his emotions versus his son going to college and all that. If if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about because Stiller has a very strong narration. And in your connecting point where that awkward conversation, the body language of that conversation should be enough to tell us it's awkward, but then when you put in Hawk's narration in there, which in plenty of places takes away exposition and key details and, and substitutes his own internal thoughts instead of cheesy exposition of whatever Michael's talking about with this environmental thing comes in and really, again, as much as the tone was set by the way it's going to be set up, just takes you inside deeper to something that, like you said, rustles feathers or triggers a theological answer or or a question. And just brilliant, brilliant use of narration. Absolutely, it's you're peeking
0: into this this person's this individual's heart, um, and <laughs> he's he's alienated. He's alone. Yeah, and he's he's dealing with this, and he's putting on this this face to the rest of the world. He's trying to fight his way through it, but he's constantly he's can't get a hold of prayer. I, I love that that mm-hmm. follows through this, and I'll tell you that's probably what hit me in a personal note the most was this idea of I can't pray. He says early on during that narration, yeah. like you said, that the journal is his prayer hmm um and so it's also very touching for me later in the film when mary asks him to pray with her
1: yeah and, and he's he got to, to squeeze do it. it out and he uh-huh. has to
0: squeeze it out and then i think he does say later in the film that he is he's found his method of prayer but it's man, it's so fascinating to, to watch someone for the focus, not really truly to be on, is he or is he going to blow up something or is he not going to blow up something? Yeah. It's such a switcheroo. Like when I saw the trailers, I wondered how those two were going to marry together. Like this does not feel like something that could be together, but that is, that's not the point of this movie, right? It's not about whether he does or doesn't. It's about how we can slowly get to the point where we go from being 100 percent against something mm-hmm. to participating in it in a matter of days or months right? Um, because of these hopeless feelings that we all have to deal with
1: mm-hmm. I, now i didn't see the trailer for the film so i was not aware of the swerve the rug pull and all that so for me to observe it kind of unprompted it got me good you know like i felt the tension and the despair really get heavy and and very dramatic for the first two-thirds of the film, just as it should and then once you get to that point of the bombs in play and he pulls that bag out of the closet and you know what's in that bag because it calls back to something he took away earlier and you're like whoa we're going there and i i didn't see it coming i didn't see a trailer so for me to watch that moment come i thought there's only a couple ways they're going to do this either this is going to be egregiously too much You know, like you're going a lot too far if you're going there, but if you're going to go there, you're Ethan Hawke, you got to sell it to me or Paul Schrader. Where is this going to go? And I like that the third act didn't have the wheels fall off. It's not necessarily a heel turn. It's not, we're not watching pro wrestling or anything, but once there's that, that change and that shift and that buy-in, I think they did enough to sell that, that he could reach this point convincingly for when, for when this happens, you're like, yep. He might just do it. And I, not that he would ever be justified to do so, but you could buy it. The moment that that I believed that, that that it was going to happen for sure, was he was
0: in, gosh, again, Cedric the Entertainers. Mm -hmm. I I wish I could, I wish I could remember his character's name, but he was in his office and he was being kind of chastised and, and criticized because he had not told them about his illness and, He'd been discovered having been drinking and he was lying to it and he was kind of getting read the riot act. Yeah. And he tells him at the point, at that point he's talking about the upcoming um, commencement and he says, I want you to be there. Please. No, I want you. I want to be the one to uh, introduce you. And knowing what we know at that point, he is fighting through these words it, that you can almost feel them coming out through ethan hawk's teeth like gritting his teeth as he's saying mm-hmm. that because he's so angry and he's trying to control it but by saying i really want you to be there no i want to be the one to introduce you he's saying to cedric Scher- he's saying i want to kill you like that mm-hmm. is that he knows at that point that that's what he's planning yeah
1: and if you don't get that vibe wow. then when he tells mary to stay away then you're right. like oh we're going there now okay hmm yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and so it's it's tough. It's tough to watch. It's tough to see. Uh, but I, like Silence, I, I keep comparing it because at the end of that, I, I also don't feel like Scorsese in that movie is trying to tell us that we should or should not apostatize mm-hmm. in that scenario. He's trying to say, here's what some people do and yeah. think about it. That's what this movie is, is telling us as, as well. What did you think about the aspect ratio? I don't know if it started that way or not, but I noticed it maybe – 15-20 minutes into the movie and I was like whoa and, I just realized
1: uh, one of our Q&A person people asked it and um yeah it, it was intentional it stayed that way the whole film didn't shift or anything like that so it was it was a 4-3 academy ratio the whole time it fit you know I think it, it gave height to things um I know it's really hard to show something tall in a widescreen format so when you have that That church steeple going for that, for that small opening shot coming up that road. That's beautiful. So yeah, so between the forest and the trees and obviously the, the way that church steeple plays and even just the height they put. For the solitary scenes inside the rectory where where Hawk lives, like you, it, it doesn't feel like a set because you have this height where you get floor to ceiling most of the time, and him absorbed in whatever he's thoughts he's in as he kind of shifts himself around his place between the bath and the bedroom and, and the study and all that. I think the extra box of height helps there, and then also pinches you into the narrowness and aloneness of where he is, or obviously the other characters are. So that's what I felt.
0: I felt yeah. like it was i love that word pinch i felt like it was closing in on me as a viewer that i was i could feel his world just Mm -hmm. pinching him and and closing in on him as i went
1: i can't say i can't say like full claustrophobia it's not that because a lot of these scenes happen in in wider places but just enough pinch where you're like that big room doesn't look so big right now and and him in it feels lost so yeah i like the way that played performances. I, I, oh, I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, two years ago, I thought I saw the best he's ever been when he did born to be blue. And when he played okay. Chick Baker, the jazz trumpeter. that's the most range I've seen Hawk do where so often Hawk is the smiley, loquacious, not man child. He's not Adam Sandler, but he's our before character. He's our semi a-hole guy. he's the crass guy in, in even some of the Westerns and things he does. So for him in born to be blue two years ago to kind of play this Down and out drug addled recovering jazz trumpeter, and to do all that in a very dramatic way, and and for the first time in a while, play his age. You know he is over forty, and he's not doing young man parts anymore, which is really cool. This for me was easily his most nuanced, and and I I gotta chop it up and sit around for a while, but up there with his best. Where did it land for you?
0: Definitely up there with his best as well. I I would argue it's. As good as anything he's probably done. Mm-hmm. They're hard to rate. They really are. Yeah, I mean, this is this is very very you know, different. Yeah, like, you're probably right that that's the closest one actually to a similar feeling. But this is not his before character. It's not Jesse. this nope, is not, not at all. Reality bites. Um, Mm-mm. it's it's definitely dark. And uh, I I don't know. I just I was eating it up. I was oh, so yeah. impressed the whole time. He made me feel every emotion that he went through, sometimes multiples at a time, sometimes shifting within seconds yes. um, as his mood changed and as the, the scene dictated the story beat to be different. And he just – he really does. He knocks it out of the park. I mean it is an incredible performance. And I thought that for small roles, both Amanda Seafried and Cedric were fantastic in their roles as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because Cedric fits the bill as a jovial, loquacious guy who you could easily conceivably be believed to be a mega church kind of snake oil pouring, kind of glad handing pol- political priest, so to speak. And political is probably not the right word, but just that man of the community kind of guy. He's a bigger than life person. I'm with you. I'm Amanda Seyfried. Um, Normally, I find her presence in films to be really not that special. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for me. She's like Mila Kunis, you know, where she's gorgeous and she's amazing in, in terms of looks and all that. It's hard to separate Mila Kunis from Jackie in that 70s show because every time she opens her mouth, you just hear that New Jersey squawk and it, you just can't take her seriously in dramatic parts. The right part comes along in the right performance from her and that notion of her goes away. And for like Mila Kunis, for me, it was a black swan where she finally got a role that where her smokiness Worked and, you, and it wasn't Jackie from that 70s show. It wasn't the Dits. And for Amanda Seyfried, this was for me her most mature performance too because So often we think Mean Girls and the ditzy stuff she plays or even just action hero damsel in distresses things like in movies like In Time where she's just really not given much to do other than look great. Even even in her porn star role of Loveless from a few years ago where that's probably the fullest and most the meatiest part she's ever had, but she still has to kind of be a ditz. So for this, her most mature role for sure. And I was really impressed and I completely was able to remove the fact that she's one of the Mean Girls. For yeah. once for two oh, hours. Oh, me
0: too. And and it's like Ethan Hawke. She was playing her age. She's yeah. playing a mid thirties mm-hmm. wife, first time mother. You know, she's not playing a teenager, which yeah. is what happens to actresses in Hollywood when they're in their thirties, they're still playing, you know, twelve year olds. To her
1: credit, to her credit, she could play she could still play twenties. She looks great, you know. But um this was this was a nice part for her. So you mentioned something I did want to
0: just briefly touch on because that was the other thing that significantly impacted my viewing is the debate that goes on within Reverend Toller of this small town church that is turned into a kind of a souvenir shop and is just like this offshoot run mm-hmm. by this big dominant mega church. This is a real issue that Christianity across the country is dealing with. OK, we yeah. have small churches and we have the ever-growing mega church and Mm -hmm. i thought it nailed so much of what that is like having a coffee shop inside your church yeah having a choir i mean these are things that Mm -hmm. i have lived through and it never again makes a statement it never out right says hey this is the wrong way to do it right it just shows Ways in which things cannot go right. Both mm-hmm. churches have their issues. Absolutely. Both churches are run. Um, so they both have strengths. They both have weaknesses. And it's it gives us food for thought. And I think, who, who was it? Um, the Christianity Today review was written by a man named Kenneth Moorfield. And in okay. it, he specifically says, it illustrates how theological debates matter substantively to how we live on a daily level and I love that because that's what it made me think of it made me think of those questions that I debate with my friends constantly like we randomly talk about these things and this is what this film packs it completely full of those yeah so it's a movie you could go see with you know your buddies or or a group of people that are close to you and you could go sit for hours afterwards and have drinks and dinner and talk your way through it and you probably learn a lot about each other
1: Yeah, I, I go to, I go to a tiny church, um, where there's probably 20 people on a good, on a good Sunday. They're a non-denominational church. They're very, I'm trying to think if I can name drop. They're very Kenneth Hagen esque a little bit. So they're very probably on the evangelical spectrum of things where they're not super progressive, but I know they, I know plenty of them there love their mega churches and we've lost constituents and, and, two mega churches and all that. So yeah, I feel that vibe too, even though I'm not as super rooted into it and all that. I don't know. I, I will always gravitate to the little church and I, I but at the same time, like you said, the flaws are there. Like what we, what Ethan Hawke has and, and just, again, it all comes out in that narration when he's talking about words that justify words that condemn all these ideas of just, his self medicating, his inability to pray. The, oh man, just, I, I'm right. I'm just tru- going through all the chug- the chugging of the notes I've wrote where it's just courage is the solution to despair. Wisdom holds them both in our minds and in our life itself and activism and martyrdom. And just, I, just, there's just so much comes out from a small setting and, and a reflective person who you would think that would come from the big church. No, it comes from little church. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Absolutely is. I think there's
0: also a lot to unpack about the names in this film. And we're not going to necessarily try and do that here on the fly, but that's one thing I just loved about it is it's got layer upon layer upon layer, and it's going to be rewatchable because there's so much to catch. There's so much you can focus on during each and every viewing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not an accident. It cannot possibly be an accident that the two people he meets are Michael and Mary both mm-hmm. very heavily uh, biblical names, very imagery of Mary Magdalene and legendary, mythic ideas that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a thing come to mind. Then his son being named Jacob—that's even addressed by Michael. He says, "Oh yeah, the the one who dreamed." Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much of this going on in this film that I think it's intentional and yeah. i'm i'm excited to spend some more time like unpacking it and diving into it. I can't wait to see it again and hopefully it will do well and get some awards recognition at the end of the year. I think it definitely could be nominated in a few categories and i would love to see that happen.
1: So, i guess we'll find out. Yeah, it's got kind of an uphill battle. It's early in the year but um yeah, Ethan Hawk Immediately tops my best actor ranks right now. I know a lot of year to go, but oh yeah. If, if not that, the writing is is rock styled. I mean, Paul Schrader's outstanding and, and like it's like to layer this much thickness into not just writing the narration and the dialogue, but merging them together in a deft way is, is really impressive. Man, oh man. I, I think this film will have a better acceptance and a better shelf life than a ghost story a year ago from a24 where that is maybe too existential now don't get me wrong this movie is plenty heavy for general audiences as we said before who might not be able to wrap their arms around this like i know my little conservative church will watch this and just shake their heads and they're kind of old folks who are going to come out of it going why can't i just watch i can only imagine one more time they're not going to like this film but no they're
0: going to see it probably for what i feared which is Mm-hmm. as a fall from grace of a man of god which is yeah. you i mean if you don't proper. pay attention to it that if you just look at the 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 beginning and the ending of a mm-hmm. character you're going to see it that way and you're going to see it almost as sacrilegious because you're not going to understand yeah what's happening at the end
1: they're going to be in the how could you crowd instead mm-hmm. of the oh let me think about that crowd yes yeah, definitely
0: hopefully those of you out there that are listening to us will you know, have taken what we've said and we'll chew on it a little bit deeper than that. That one scene does kind of freak me out. I don't know what's going on with the whole like laying on top of each other. I know I read that it was yeah. taken directly from another film, mm-hmm. but that's the one surreal moment that I'm just like not it took, it, fully. It took
1: me out of the film. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the thing keeping it from a full five for me it is I, I just, I don't know where they wanted to go with that. I mean, I, I saw where they went and I get it. I don't know if that plugs in with the rest properly, especially when we get to that, the burst of carnal, if we're going to call it what Schrader called it, an ending where I guess if you had that scene earlier, I think you're it was playing. to set our minds up so that yeah. we
0: know that the final moment is a surrealism and not
1: little. Yeah and schrader said that he's like i have to put surrealism in here for in order to have my ending work and that was the way he played it and frankly i really st- enjoyed the scene up until
0: the the levitation to be honest like i when yeah. she came in and she was like no i just want to lay here and be close i was i was like holding my breath because oh, yeah so that was one of those moments where the score is gone and their sound is gone and no one is talking and oh and when
1: them, when her hair oh, when her hair talks, face yeah you're like where are, i mean because you think are they embracing behind you're waiting
0: for kids? them to start making out yeah, and, and, and or the righteous brothers
1: come on, and they're gonna weave some clay and stuff like that. Exactly. No, I would have been okay if the only surreal moment was the last one. I didn't need the lead up of this one, uh, but hard to call that a flaw. I think it's more a creative choice, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm fine with that. But and it it doesn't take away from the too much from from the heft and all that.
0: Awesome, man. Well, I think we've pretty much gotten as much as we can get out of it after walking out of a theater and trying to dissect it. But yeah. This has been fun and it's definitely been helpful for me. We did this a couple times in the past with, I believe it was, it comes at night. We might, did we do this for the ghost story? We yeah, sure did. So yeah, the, the thanks twenty four. <laughs> wow. basically one or two, a 24 releases every year. Make, make Don and I have to immediately go talk about a movie, but Mm -hmm. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Don, real quick, why don't you tell everybody where they can find more of your stuff?
1: Right. Uh, Use the search term Every Movie Has a Lesson on Facebook, Twitter, or the internet itself, everymoviehaslesson.com. This review should be up within a couple of weeks here. This film finally drops locally, at least for me. I don't know if it'll be the same in Seattle, but um, I'll have a nice full fat review for you. My capsule of this film is up right now and a a collection of capsules for this Chicago Critics Film Festival. Um, A new thing Aaron and I are both trying to dive into that I'm going to record a few of tonight here is um, us out on the stardust app my handle there is movie lessons i need like three more people to subscribe so i can make my five and uh we'll go from there
0: well hopefully by the time people are listening to this we will have already gotten you to those and it'll be like your numbers 50 and 55 oh I'll, <laughs> I'll take 12 12 and 15 at this point yeah not greedy i see well listeners if you want to connect with me you can always do that on twitter at FeelinFilmAaron or through the official FeelinFilm film twitter account and you can find both don and i every day active in the Feeling Film Facebook group talking about movies. So come join us. Let us know what you thought about First Reformed. We know that it's not going to have the box office numbers of Avengers Infinity War. So the few of you that actually are out there that go see this, we want to know what you thought. Until next time, everybody, in light of this film especially, with the despair and the hopelessness that's out there in the world, stay positive and keep feeling Film.